0: What's going on, everyone? Stu Blackwell here, bringing you episode three of the Warrior Legacy podcast to talk about another infantry value that can help make your life better. Um, It really means a lot to me that you're spending your time here um, to look at life through a different lens, and it can help you shape your world into what you want it to be if you let it. Now, in the last episode, we spoke about the two foundational values of the infantry being discipline and toughness. If you haven't listened to that one, go back, get that knowledge, because today we're talking about something that builds on it. And once again, I'd like to reiterate that, you know, this is just my perception based on my experiences that I've had as a grunt during the global war on terror. So I'm super excited about today's episode because I get to paint a mental picture of grunt life for you guys and talk about two more of our values that permeate every aspect of this lifestyle and that's going to lead us to answering one of the biggest questions of all i've noticed that you know military critics especially politicians but you know people that are just skeptical as well um considering our culture and you know like some of our practices they they want to know why why are things done a certain way you know, is it necessary to be so rigid with order and discipline? And not too long ago, they were asking, why can't women serve in the infantry? Why do you guys have all these archaic traditions? Always why? And we identified the cause of that ignorance as a misunderstanding of the infantry's purpose and mission. So today, I'm going to give you like a, like a 10,000 foot view of my career that can provide the answer to why we have a different culture and some of the effects that has on young men. Now the evidence is in the examination of common practices specific to not any one unit but across every unit that I was in. So we'll start back at 26. second Battalion Six Marines, my first unit and, After I graduated infantry school, I went to 2-6 in December of 07, and I noticed that it was far less structured than the school we had just graduated from. Every day in SOI was scheduled to the minute, weeks in advance. Now, multiple classes a year pass through that schoolhouse, and they all have to get the exact same training. So now in 2-6, which fell under the Fleet Marine Force, was a deployable unit. And there were several hours a day or even entire days where our team leaders and our squad leaders, who's like the infantry's frontline management equivalent, were free to train us however they saw fit. So after the first week of getting shuttled around the base to get all my gear and complete an absolutely obscene amount of paperwork, we just hit the ground running. Um, The senior Marines in my platoon had just returned from a deployment in Fallujah in Iraq's Al-Anbar province. So the unit was in the quote-unquote workup phase, as we called it, which is, it's designed to provide time for them to recuperate and to train all of us new guys before the next deployment. Now, there's an element of mystery involved here because you don't actually find out where your unit is deploying until, like, right before you leave. So, none of us knew when the next deployment was coming or where exactly we would be going. The only certainty was that we would deploy somewhere. So, our seniors were preparing us for another round in Fallujah, because that's where they had just come from. And we used whatever we had at our disposal to train. Um, You know, morning PT was based on combat practicality. So moving weight for distance and time was like a standard practice, just like an SOI, but a lot harder now. Um, We fought constantly. It didn't matter where we were or, you know, what we were doing. I mean, we could be just getting done with, you know, machine gun classes or on our way to the chow hall or waiting for a formation to secure for the day's liberty. And they would choose two of us new guys, or boots, as we're called, to fight at random. Now, there were a few rules in place to prevent serious injury, but walking away from one of these bouts was, you know, w- with a bloody nose and, and a bunch of bruises was expected. Um, they were more akin to like a like a grappling or a jiu match instead of an all-out brawl. Um, but there wasn't any consideration given to... Like weight or experience. It was all random selection. And then as time went on, they raised the bar. They started jumping in with us. So <laughs> imagine being a 19 year old boot marine. You're brand new to the unit. You're on your knees, back facing someone else, surrounded by this circle of peers and combat veterans. And when the team leader in charge screams, Fight! You spin to see a harnessed. Fallujah vet just driving towards you to rip you to shreds. It didn't stop until someone tapped out or passed out. You know, if someone took a hard body shot or, you know, rolled over their shoulder or messed up their ankle, no one cared unless there was like an audible or visible bone break. You know, you fought through pain, discomfort, even if your opponent was bigger or stronger or or more seasoned. And no one was going to stop it if one man just didn't want to fight or wasn't putting forth his best effort or having that off day. That guy was just going to get worked. And there wasn't any sympathy. Didn't matter if he had fought several consecutive rounds against multiple fresh opponents either. Everyone, regardless of rank or status or experience, was expected to fight as hard as they possibly could. It's like this. Yeah, those of you that worked in the food industry before know, um, you know, like when lunch and dinner time roll around, you better be prepared. Even if half your staff called out or just didn't show up, you're still there and the orders aren't going to stop coming in. So if you lay down and roll over, you're just going to get buried with more work and customers don't give a shit. They just want their food. Now the restaurant analogy is far less physically violent, but the situation is similar. You know, we we learned a lot about each other doing this and got surprised a lot. Um, You know, I can't count how many times a Marine got written off by, you know, these small assemblies because he seemed, you know, shy or quiet or looked, you know, thin and nerdy until he got in there and just turned into a complete savage. Um, And the same goes the other way. Sometimes the bigger guys weren't always as tough as they looked and we used whatever area we could to train like not just like grappling but you know also like maneuvers and skills and stuff like that a softball field a parking lot a random patch of grass i mean you name it the barracks we lived in didn't matter now i suspected that iraq or afghanistan was on the horizon so i accepted the training as like you know essential preparation Uh, and just like most of the other boots but I didn't fully grasp the reasoning why and the mental effect that this had until I became a team leader and eventually a squad leader. So nearly every waking hour of these, these short little forays back in, you know, the rear, quote unquote, was dedicated to training for war. Um, and this was broken up by, you know, various administrative tasks required by higher command, but then it was right back to it. You know, we were either getting in better fighting shape, learning new skills, or practicing those skills. And an hour or two a night was, you know, reserved to prepare for upcoming field operations. Now, when we left the barracks area in the main base camp of, you know, Lejeune, it was expected that we treated that as like a mini-deployment. Like it was a real war, and that's how I approached it. Now, this is when we did our, our live fire exercises and all the things we couldn't do at the barracks. Um, and we'd stay in that mindset until we came back a few, you know, a few days or weeks or however long we were going to be out there and typically have like a weekend to recover. Now that off time wasn't without obligation. It was impressed upon us from the time that we got there that just because you don't have, you know, a team leader or a squad leader supervising your every move, it didn't mean you didn't have a responsibility to improve. So if you were asked a question and didn't know the answer, or if you barely completed the PT sessions, or if you sucked at fighting that week, then your weekend was probably spent studying or working out or, um, you know, at the nearby gym, finding random Marines to spar with. Because come Monday... The mindset would be put back into place and everyone would be able to tell how you spent your time without you ever having said a word. It's kind of like a businessman that has to prepare for like a a major acquisition meeting with another company. His boss may tell him like, hey man, we really want this company and I need you to make it happen. So that guy knows that the next few days need to be spent getting all his affairs in order prior to the meeting. He just want to show up and be at a loss for words when it's his time to speak, right? So now, fast forward to 2011. I had just uh, signed my first reenlistment contract, and I was at a new unit called Fleet Anti-Terrorism Security Team, or FAST Company. Uh, the very first day that I arrived, you know, I, I show up in my my service alphas, my pickle suit, and I report to the CEO. Meet my platoon commander, all standard practice. And it wasn't more than 30 minutes after that that me and my new platoon commander were out back behind the company office just beating the hell out of each other you know, with these old boxing gloves that looked like they were from the 1920s. It was a hell of an icebreaker. And every unit is a little bit different, but there's also some similarities too. You know, the same mystery about deployments, the same adaptability and consistency of training. A lot of field time. Now we jumped forward again to 2014 when I signed an extension and went to 2nd Battalion 5th Marines out in California. So we've got Campbell's Union, North Carolina, we've got Norfolk, Virginia, and we've got California. Okay. Now the, the grappling and boxing sessions that were so common in my last two units were like upgraded here we would have entire platoons fighting each other, all at the same time, and, and that that intensity and expectation with you know physical fitness and field time was frequent here as well. Now let's think about this for a bit. That very brief summary is excluding in a lot of operational detail but it's a solid sample size spanning just shy of a decade from 2007 to 2016 three units and essentially the breadth of the country you know this is where we start getting into the why of it all so immersion in a culture that values toughness and discipline and lethality where like seventy-five percent of your time is dedicated to war fighting, has a profound effect on the mental and emotional development of a young man. And it seems callous compared to other lifestyles, but remember that you you know the price for failure can be unnecessary death or dismemberment. So to us, as much as it sucked at the time, many of us recognized true selflessness in the architecture of it all and selflessness in, in in the militaristic sense is typically associated with acts of bravery that like prevent the loss of life. You know, we, which is of course true, but there's another part to that equation. It can also be represented in the example I just gave about you know how how many of us spend our off time, you know, sacrificing a night out in, out in town to study or Choosing the gym over video games is an expression of selflessness. Their selflessness by becoming more lethal, the individual becomes a greater asset to the team and increases everyone's survivability. So remember that each man is depended upon by everyone else in every type of operation. Ground fighting, another example. Um, y- If the sounds of physical exertion during a fight, you know, the the grunting, the cursing, could be translated into normal speech, it would sound something like, I am causing you pain to make you more lethal so that you can have a life after combat. Even if you choose to hate me with that life, and you are doing the same to me. Iron sharpens iron. Now, a commonality that that all my team leaders had was, was the open door policy. And this is something that, that most everybody can identify with. You know, how many times have you had a boss throw that term out there when they introduce themselves, regardless of whether or not they actually follow it and, and, and practice it. You know, I was the guy that leveraged that. Okay. So not in a dishonest or like tattletale kind of way, but I asked so many questions that I know these guys were tired of answering. It had to be so annoying for them uh, to have me knocking on their door after hours or even out in the field when you know they're, they're teaching us something new to ask about things that I just didn't understand. Constantly. But they sacrificed uninterrupted privacy, something that m- most of us enjoy on a daily basis in society, for the collective benefit. And you can see these little personal sacrifices littered throughout every aspect of the infantry. You know, um, when you're on a long hike and you get like a five minute break, um, and one guy just, you know, goes over and posts up his security so that everybody else can change their socks. um, Without anybody telling him to do so. Um, A team leader uh, that stays up with his boot marines on fire watch out in the field. You know, he could be in the bag milking a few meager hours of sleep and you know like a squad leader. A squad leader that has the courage to correct his guys when it's uncomfortable and to teach them instead of turning a blind eye to their deficiencies. These are just a few examples of selflessness and they permeate every aspect of the infantry. Now, in combat, it's oftentimes it manifests itself in the acts of bravery that save lives. This is true. But just as common are the acts that take life as well. Ask yourself this. Okay, Is the marine that races through enemy fire to retrieve a wounded comrade more selfless than the one that passes through a hail of bullets to slaughter the enemy? I would argue that both are equal acts of selflessness. Now, what makes that man capable of those incredible acts? Well, it starts with toughness, discipline, and selflessness. But lethality is the aptitude that makes it possible. You're not carrying anyone out of a bad situation without the physical strength to do so. You're not going to be able to capitalize on the maneuver under fire and kill the enemy without achieving mastery of your weapon and your mental and emotional faculties prior to that point. So lethality, being our next value, has two parts to it. There's the ability and the willingness. The ability refers to, you know, specific essential skills and capability to apply them. Marksmanship, stamina, navigation, tactical savvy, technical proficiency, just to name a few. Willingness is the emotional stability necessary to be violent and remain mentally functional. Now, it seems conceptually easy, but, you know, when we consider, like, the human elements of war and the fact that, like, black and white situations are rare to non-existent on the battlefield, it becomes infinitely more complicated, especially in a counterinsurgency operation where uniforms aren't always worn by combatants. Break it down, not just from my experience in Afghanistan, but for many that fought in, you know, all over the world during the war on terror. Our enemies switched back and forth between like farmer and fighter as needed, you know, to the extent of waking before the sun to irrigate their fields and picking up the rifle shortly after sunrise. The lethality that we possessed in the form of weapons, munitions and and skills to employ them had to be backed by the willingness to apply them in a somewhat cold-hearted fashion, at least momentarily. Now, I had farmers in my squad, guys that had grown up with similar lifestyles to the men and women that fought us. The psychological element of lethality, developed by the constant fighting and training beforehand, is what facilitates the use of violence. It's the gatekeeper. You know, both have to be developed simultaneously. They have to be earned in unison. They can't be given. And the reason why is because the nature of war is so fundamentally different than that of the society that we're all raised in. Now, before you fire up your torches and your pitchforks and stuff, just ask yourself this. How are most kids taught to handle bullying in school? Go get a teacher, or use "quote unquote" verbal resolution, or some such other stupidity. You know, it, it seems like an elementary comparison, quite literally. But when a child is immersed in an environment like that for eighteen to twenty-two plus years, it doesn't translate well onto the battlefield where you know third-party or peaceful resolution doesn't exist. Fair fights also do not exist. You know, so the the justification. For the opposite nature of infantry culture, of why it has to be immersive, is a result of the unforgiving reality and the finality of combat, as it contrasts to American society. So one of history's great lessons, which was one of many that was ignored by our politicians during this war, is that cultural change doesn't occur quickly you know, like over a few years. You know, it takes decades at a minimum. So applying the same logic to grunt culture, you're not going to completely change a young soldier or Marine's mind and initial inclinations in the seven to nine months of preparation before they go to war. But because of the moral consequence we mentioned last episode, to do nothing would just be catastrophic. So it isn't a 100% solution it was pretty damn good. You know, we had Marines do some incredible things when we deployed to Marsha in 2010, which we'll detail at a later time. But there's no doubt in my mind that that deployment would have been a whole hell of a lot more costly if we didn't have this culture that was built on these strong foundational values that are just different from American society another example. I was listening to, uh, uh, Jocko Willink's podcast the other day. And for those of you that don't know who he is, you need to go check it out. There's a lot of great content on his show, but, um, you know, he was a Navy SEAL, um, with a little bit of overlap, I think, um, in, in service times with, with me. Um, and, uh, he mentioned that their workup periods before deployments were 18 months long, which is over twice as long as most Marine infantry units. Now, I was never a part of the special operations capable community, but you know it, it's obvious given their performance, their success on the battlefield, that superior training and longer cultural immersion contributed to that success. So the proof is in the performance, and we have over 245 years of battlefield presentation as supporting evidence. And if you want to look deeper, examine the Spartans, not just the Battle of Thermopylae, but what made them culturally different than the rest of Greece. Every male trained from age 7 or 9, depending on which source you accept, until the age of 21, before they actually got to fight. And you fought well into old age by modern standards. Leonidas was over 60 when he was killed at the hot gates. You know, they were the dominant Greek army because of the culture that they had. Now, by comparison, every other Greek state had citizen soldier armies, something more akin to like uh, the National Guard or the reserve components of our military. Now, the Battle of Leuctra in 371 BC, which marked the decline of Spartan military dominance, showcased a Theban unit that was pulled away from all of their other duties and did nothing but train to fight in the months leading up to the battle. So that commonality spread across thousands of years between Marine infantry, Navy SEALs, Spartans, the Theban Sacred Band, as they were called, is a culture that is or was separate from the parent society. The culture of a unit is what takes over when technology and firepower can no longer be leveraged. And whoever has the stronger culture founded on values like discipline, toughness, selflessness, and lethality will have the advantage. Now remember, there's no such thing as a fair fight. And our enemies have proven that they will do anything, including using women and children as suicide bombers, to win. Hell, the Japanese used civilians in World War II as well. We owe it to our warfighters to accept the fact that their culture, which is essential for victory, should be different. We should demand it as a society. Even if we don't adopt it in mass. although I think... We could certainly benefit from incorporating some aspects of it. You know, Think about how much better life could be for everyone if we were all disciplined in our daily lives. If we had a routine that was characterized by sacrificing comfort and pursuing passion. Think about the effect that this has on children that observe it in their parents. And how that affects how we interact with people outside the home. Now, it's just one of the many things that we can take and add to how we live every day. I know the positive effect of it because I see it in my own children. And it amazes me what they are capable of. My oldest son, he, he trains for five hours a week so that he can be a better Taekwondo student. Now, I, I know almost nothing about Taekwondo, but I do know that he is more confident and adventurous. He craves challenge. Because action produces an appetite for more action. And throwing on the pair of old sparring mitts that we have and, and training him, that pushes me to get better. Iron sharpens iron. He's nine years old. Nine years old. How awesome is that? How much more awesome is he going to be, say, you know, five years or ten years from now? I can't wait to find out. That's for damn sure. Now... We didn't get here overnight. You know, I had to take a hard look in the mirror after I got out and and answer questions that I wasn't prepared to. Because I was living for pleasure over purpose. And when I made that switch, it took months for my oldest to notice. still working on my youngest. But the why for me was so that when the next war comes, and it's their time to fight... They will possess the disciplined physical abilities and the emotional stability to not just function, but to lead if that is in their future. That's going to be it for this episode, everyone. So thank you so much for your time. I really look forward to building this community and from learning from all you guys. So remember to like and subscribe to the show. Leave a review for me. That way I can get some feedback from you guys. And even if you disagree, that's fine too, you know? Stay tuned because the next episode is going to be coming hot, all right? Get savage, stay savage, out here.